We're moving on to 2 Thessalonians today. Paul writes a second letter to the Thessalonians within just months of the first letter, which we just taught through. And the Thessalonians are still suffering a lot. Their persecutions and afflictions were so severe that some of them were terrified that they had missed the day of the Lord. And that word got back to Paul, so Paul writes to reassure them that they hadn't missed anything and that the coming of the Lord was still in the future. But he also writes to praise them or to commend them for their tenacity in suffering and to strengthen them as they face continuing persecution. And that's our our focus this morning. That's the focus of our passage this morning. Verse 4, we boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Very few things are more important about church than helping the believers, the saints, to persevere, to press on, to endure through hard, painful, difficult times. Uh, Very few things are more important about you than to be steadfast in your afflictions. Now, just in case you have forgotten what life was like in Thessalonica for the Thessalonians, Acts 17 tells that story. Uh, Paul went to the local synagogue in Thessalonica, and it says that he proclaimed there that Jesus is the Christ. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men, they formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And they accused Paul and the Christians of inciting an insurrection. Uh, They said, They act against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Well, this this mob action, this riot was so dangerous that Paul actually had to flee the city at night just to save his life. Well, this hostility toward the Christians at Thessalonica continued after Paul left. And yet... The church, the believers at Thessalonica, remained steadfast. And Paul commends them here for that quality. Steadfastness means perseverance or endurance. Some translations, instead of the word steadfast, use the word perseverance. Steadfastness means to be unwavering, unflinching in when you're attacked, when you come under spiritual attack or other kinds of attack to be strong in the battles of life. I think Ephesians 6 uh, describes it probably the best of any place in the Scripture. Take up the whole armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And having done everything, to stand firm. Steadfastness means to stand firm. To keep your composure. To keep your head Uh, to stay steady when going through hard, painful, costly, and evil things. I happened to run across a verse last week in the Song of Deborah from the book of Judges. I don't think I've ever seen it before. I've obviously read it, but it 
because I've read through the book of Judges many times, but it never stood out to me. And this verse really jumped out to me. It's in, De- it's in Judges 5.12 in the Song of Deborah. March on, O my soul, in might. In the midst of your battles, march on. Uh, when life is full of trouble, when life is full of pain, march on. March on, O my soul, be strong. That is steadfastness. And that would be a great verse to memorize, and I've been quoting it a lot. Uh, steadfastness is the opposite of caving in, the, the opposite of quitting or of shrinking back. And when it seems like life turns against you, when it seems like all hell breaks loose, steadfastness is the thing that you need most. You will only be victorious in this life. You will only walk in victory in this world through steadfastness or if you exercise and have steadfastness. You will only be victorious in your battles and struggles through perseverance. Uh, James 5.11 said, As an example of patience in afflictions, take the prophets. See how blessed we consider those who have persevered persevered God rewards perseverance James 1:12 blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial that person will receive the crown of life it's a very valuable quality i hope you have it i hope you pursue growing in it one of the most important things about you as i said to be a, per, a person who is steadfast, steady, who stands firm, unwavering, does not shrink back in the battles of life. People often assume they will just somehow do well when trouble shows up at their door, or they just don't think about it. But unless you are prepared for suffering and for trouble, you won't be ready. You won't do well. I love Mike Tyson's quote, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Well, one of the most important things that you can do is, is to prepare for the evil day or to get punched in the mouth. Peter said in biblical terms, arm yourself to suffer. One way you do that is by practicing Steady, patient endurance on ordinary days in your ordinary trials so that you are ready for the truly big battles of life, so that you are ready for the more difficult days ahead. Jeremiah was complaining to the Lord about how hard his situation was, and the Lord answered Jeremiah with a question. Jeremiah 12, 5. If you have raced with men on foot, and they have worn you out, how can you compete with the horses? If you stumble in the peaceful land, how will you do in the thickets of the Jordan? In other words, if you're defeated by ordinary trials and ordinary times, how will you handle the truly hard things that are coming? So the Lord was challenging Jeremiah, trying to strengthen his tenacity, to stiffen his backbone, uh, to increase his endurance, to prepare him for more, uh, to prepare him to run with the horses. I think the Bible indicates that 
things could get much worse for believers, for us. Paul said, realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. So there is a general sense in which more difficult times are coming. But who knows, in your own personal life, who knows how difficult things could be in the days ahead. It helps to be ready to suffer. We're commanded to be ready to suffer. That's what Peter meant when he said, arm yourself to suffer. I had a friend in college, and I actually talked to him not that long ago. And he used to say, this is the worst day of my life uh, over some of the smallest problems. And we, we used to kid him about that because every day it's, it, was, it was just different things would come up and, oh, no, read, this is the worst day of my life. Well, we, we might not say that, but sometimes we say, you know, this is so terrible or this is a complete disaster when it's not really a big-time problem or a big-time affliction. And so to talk like that, to think like that is not standing strong and steadfast. Uh, we need to learn to suffer with endurance in the regular problems of life so we're prepared for the truly evil days ahead. Let's go back now to, to verse 1, and I want to work our way in a little, more, little bit more detail through this passage. So Paul begins this book by addressing this small persecuted group of believers in the city of Thessalonica as the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus. A really loaded greeting. Really powerful statement. In effect, Paul was saying, yes, you guys are suffering. You're afflicted. You're hated and you're despised. But you are the church of God. You are the church in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the church in those days was not part of the establishment. Uh, there was not a church building on every corner. There weren't even any church buildings. To be in the New Testament church was like joining the outcasts. It's like choosing to be among the most despised people in the city. And so Paul reminds them that they are a special people, that they are called out of the world into the assembly of those who belong to Jesus. They are a local church at Thessalonica, but in God our Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I may be nobody in the eyes of the world, We may be small or feel small and powerless. Uh, we may have little or no prestige whatsoever. But we are the most privileged people in the world because we are in the church. And the church is in union with God and in union with our Lord Jesus Christ. And so to be a part of the church in Thessalonica or a part of the church in Ankeny is an incredible privilege. And I hope that you begin to see that more and more and more and appreci appreciate and value that greatly. And this was written, I believe, I'm sure, by Paul to the Thessalonians as an encouragement to them 
and it's meant to encourage us as well. Next, Paul moves on to bless these afflicted believers with grace and peace. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt, these believers had uh, money problems, they had work problems, family problems, life problems, just like you do, just like everybody has. But they also had people in the town who wanted to hurt them, or maybe even kill them. And they probably experienced confiscation of property or damage to their homes and other forms of violence and certainly mocking, uh, ostracism, and insults. And in the midst of that turmoil, in the midst of that trouble, in the midst of that evil, in the midst of being under attack, Paul blessed them with grace and peace. Grace and peace to you in your turmoil and trouble. Be at rest. Be at rest, no matter what. The Lord's peace be with you. The Lord's goodness and favor, his grace be with you. Whatever else is happening. So in the midst of what Paul describes in a general way as all their suffering and all their afflictions, he sends grace and peace to them. He wants them to be at rest and to feel blessed even in the midst of that. There is a sense, of course, in which we have uh, objectively, or we always have grace and peace. One of my favorite verses, Romans 5.1, says we stand in grace. We stand in grace. We're always in grace. It's a beautiful phrase. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have that right now. But Paul and Peter, other writers of scriptures who use, use this phrase, I, I believe have a, something just a little bit different in mind. The words to you, grace and peace to you, imply that grace and peace are on the way to you, or I am sending you, I am blessing you with grace and peace. And this is very much like the Old Testament blessing that the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to give the people of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peter said, grace and peace be multiplied to you. One version says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Uh, Peter clearly wanted them to have a, a greater experience of grace and peace. He wanted them to have a multiplied, abounding experience of grace and peace. Uh, on this verse, John Piper said, hour by hour and day by day, our, our enjoyment of grace and peace changes. It ebbs and flows. One moment, we are carried by a wave of grace into a harbor of peace. An hour later, after a painful phone call, we are storm-tossed out of sight of land again. That is reality. We need to own it, and we need to seek continually to receive the gift of these words May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Interestingly, Paul ends this letter the same way. 
And these are, these are not just formal greetings or formal ways to sign off a letter. How, how could you read this verse and think that? 2 Thessalonians 3.16 Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Isn't that what we need? It's what I need. Isn't that, isn't that what you need? May the Lord himself, the Lord of peace himself, give you peace at all times and in every way. So we need to start blessing one another with peace. Of course, grace and peace. This verse just refers to uh, peace, but actually right after this verse, he says the grace of our Lord be with you too. So usually joined together. But we need to start blessing one another with peace and pray for peace and pronounce a blessing of peace upon one another and we can do that with the authority of Scripture and because the Lord has worked and gave his life on the cross so that we could have, be at peace with God and have peace in our hearts. Do you realize how badly people need peace? Sometimes I need it so bad that I bless my own soul with peace. If there's not somebody, if there's not somebody else or not one of you guys to say, uh, the peace of God be with you. I just say that to myself. Uh, it's biblical. You know, David said, return to your rest, O my soul. David talked to his soul, his own soul, all the time. You know, bless the Lord, O my soul. Or in this case, return to your rest, O my soul. Uh, sometimes when I'm unsettled or disturbed or frustrated, I will say, read. I'll say it out loud. Read. Peace be with you. Or read the peace of God be with you and usually then just ask God to settle my heart and give me peace give me peace and it helps a lot and we could do that for each other too you know when when you sense that someone is a little worked up or disturbed or anxious or fearful or unsettled uh, you, you know your first thought might be to uh, uh, criticize them or condemn them for it how about blessing them with grace and peace next Paul tells them how he thanks God for their faith and love verse 3 we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing uh, what, what a statement I mean um, that's just, I, I don't, I'm kind of speechless, really, when I think about that. The love of every one of you is growing abundantly. What better thing could be said about a church? Along with that your, uh, your faith is growing abundantly, or your, faith is, is uh, your love is increasing, your faith is growing abundantly. Anyway, all right, here is something to give thanks for this Thanksgiving. And if you guys sit down at your Thanksgiving meal, you don't know what, you can't think of what to give thanks for, here's something to give thanks for. Give thanks for the love and the faith and the endurance and suffering that you see in other believers. That's what Paul did. He said, I give thanks to God for these qualities that I see in your life. Uh, I give thanks for the way that you guys are handling your suffering and affliction and the way you're walking through it with increasing uh, 
faith and increasing love. Of course, Paul is he's giving thanks directly to God for these qualities in their lives, but he tells them that he's doing that. Why does Paul tell them that he is giving thanks to God for them? It's to encourage them. It's to build them up. It's to comfort them, to, to bless them. So we should encourage others when we see spiritual fruit in their lives. And just, you, you can go up to somebody, you really can, and just say, you know, I thank God for this or that that I see in your life. I thank God for what I see happening in your life and how you're growing this or that quality. And remember the context here. These are a suffering people. Persecuted, afflicted. And I think it's significant that their faith and love were, were increasing in affliction. You know, you've probably heard the statistics when something really uh, bad happens, a severe Ill illness in a marriage, a lot of times those marriages end in divorce. Uh, often when life gets hard, fighting and conflict flares up in a marriage, in a family, or even in a church. But when life gets intense, that's precisely the time for your faith to increase and abound. And it's a time for your love to increase and abound more and more and more. Paul goes on to tell them that he boasts about their steadfastness and faith to the other churches. Verse 4. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in all the afflictions that you are enduring. Now we know that boasting about yourself is not a good thing. Proverbs 27.2 says, Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth. Very good thing to keep in mind. But it is a good thing to boast about others who are doing things that God likes to see. It's a great thing to boast about others who are doing things that matter to God. So if God values love, if God values endurance, if God values patience and suffering, and you see someone exhibiting those qualities, you talk about that person to other people. You tell them, hey, you know, this person's really being a good example of this quality. And you, you point that out. You make it a subject of conversation. So Paul was going around to the other churches and telling them about the Thessalonians and how they are stable and steadfast and how they love people so well and love people so much and how every single one of them, their love is increasing and even when their life is so hard. So that's, what, that's the kind of things that Paul was talking about. And That'd be a good example for us, wouldn't it? To talk about the good things that are going on in people's lives. Uh, gossip about good things that are happening or that people are exhibiting. Um, let's do that. Let's do that more, some more, okay? Then Paul moves on to give them a, a glimpse 
of why they are suffering. And this is really the subject of the rest of the chapter, but it's not something that we're going to be able to completely cover this morning. We'll, we'll get to that the next time that I, that I teach on this chapter. But verse 5 gives us kind of a summary statement. So we are going to look at this and try to get an understanding, a little bit anyway, of, of why the Thessalonians were suffering. Verse 5, referring to all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring are evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So Paul is helping them through suffering by telling, telling them something of what God is up to in their suffering. Suffering and why we suffer is one of the most perplexing questions A lot of people, for a lot of us, it's one of the most perplexing questions that we find in the Bible. If God loves me, why am I suffering like this? If I belong to God, why are these things happening? We might even ask, if God is for me, why am I hurting like this? Asaph, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Job, and I could go on and on. They all struggled greatly with this issue. Why do the people of God suffer? And so it's, it's okay if you have some questions about that too. But here Paul gives two reasons. I, I see two reasons in this verse. They may not satisfy all questions about why we suffer, but they do both indicate that God has a clear purpose in our suffering. First, the sufferings of the righteous are a clear proof that God is righteous to judge those who persecute his people. Verse 5, your persecution is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Uh, the NLT says, God will use this persecution to show his justice. Uh, the NIV puts it this way, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. Now, this reason, this first reason for suffering does directly apply to suffering from persecution. And some of us might say, well, I really haven't experienced much persecution. In fact, probably, probably most of us have not experienced the kind of persecution that the Thessalonians had undergone. Uh, probably, if you are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and following him and obedient to his word, you will have experienced some level of uh, ostracism or being kind of socially put to the margins um, or thought you were kind of uh, an odd oddball or something like that. Some level of, of persecution. But this persecution is not always external. Second uh, Peter 2.8, referring to Lot, says, That righteous man living among them day after day was tormented 
in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. There was just a sense of being tormented, persecuted by all the wickedness that was going on around him, all the, all the wickedness that he saw in the culture day after day after day that he saw and heard, Peter said. So either way, the, the wickedness of people shows God to be just in judging them. I think verse 6, which is not in our passage, but it's the very next verse, I think verse 6 helps us to see what Paul had in mind. He goes on to say, Since indeed God considers it just to repay, repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are oppressed as well. So, in other words, the hostility of the world toward the saints makes it plain that God is righteous in judging the world. Does that make sense? Are, are you following what I'm saying? Does that logic track with you? Okay. So if you are insulted, mocked, persecuted, that, that's a part of setting the stage for the day of judgment and to show that God is completely holy and righteous and just when he does judge the world. You, you are a part of a bigger story. It's not just about you. And when you're afflicted, when you're persecuted, when people turn on you for, for, for your devotion to Christ, it's not just you and that person. There's a big story going on. God is setting the stage to demonstrate his justice in judging the world. And we'll talk more about that next time. But there's another reason that these persecutions happen that apply to all kinds of suffering. Paul said, you are afflicted so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Again, that's the end of verse 5. Of course, we are justified by faith in Jesus. But we are made fit or made ready or made worthy for the kingdom of God through suffering. All through the scripture, it's not just this verse. I'm not teaching anything odd or strange this morning. It's completely, uh, completely, or the scriptures are completely saturated with this thought. Through faith, your suffering or through suffering, excuse me, through suffering your faith is tested. Through suffering your faith is shown to be genuine. We learn obedience through suffering, just like it says Jesus did. Suffering produces perseverance and godly character. Crowns and rewards are gained through suffering. Blessed is the man who endures under trial. For when he has passed the test, he will receive the crown, the crown of life. Crowns and rewards are gained through suffering. Paul said, to live with him, we must die with him. To reign with him, we must suffer with him. That's 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Romans 8, 17. We are fellow heirs of Christ if indeed we suffer with him, so that we also may be glorified with him. The ESV says, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. The path 
that prepares, that qualifies you for glory is suffering. Or as Paul said here, we are counted worthy of the kingdom of God through suffering. Jesus said, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Jesus clearly taught that suffering in the course of following him is a part of being a, a worthy follower of Jesus. I think Ephesians 4.1 sheds some light on this too. Paul said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. When you were saved, you were delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Uh, but your life needed a lot of work, and probably still does, to get you to walk in a manner or live in a manner worthy of the kingdom that you've been given. And so you and I are molded and shaped through suffering, not only through suffering, but either mainly through suffering or suffering is a key or the key way through which we are molded and shaped into a man or woman who is living like a kingdom person should live or in a manner worthy of the kingdom of God. Paul's point in this last verse is your afflictions are not meaningless. There's a reason behind them. We might not understand it all. We might have trouble accepting it all. But your afflictions do have a purpose. God is using them for good so that you can be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. And that alone adds a deep sense of of meaning and of glory to our afflictions. We are being qualified for the kingdom of God. So brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, unwavering, unflinching. Stand firm. Having done all, stand firm. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand your ground in the day of evil. That's the message. Be steadfast. And God, Paul appreciates that, but God appreciates it too. It's a, it's a, it's a quality in your life that God strongly desires, and it's a quality that he's pleased with. May, may that increase and abound more and more in our lives. Let's pray.